The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. In celebration of their newly launched WCI newsstand platform, Wing Chun Illustrated is giving listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast a free one-month all-access subscription. Go to wcinewsstand.com and click the register button in the upper right corner. Use voucher code FREE4U. That's F-R-E-E, the number four, and the letter U, all caps. Don't forget to activate your account by clicking the link in the welcome message. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Dudes of Kung Fu. Please welcome your hosts, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. How are you, brother? I'm doing good, man. It's really good to see you again. Well, stop lying. But <laughs> it, it is good. You know, Alex and I haven't even seen each other that much over the last uh, month and a half or so. And um, I, I watch his YouTube channels just uh, just so I remember what he looks like. You know, not much has changed. But uh, <laughs> it is good to see you, bro. How you been? Doing really well, man. Yeah, uh, since uh, I think we did our last episode, I did my yearly month in uh, Miami, and uh, and also I've done uh, yeah quite qu- quite a number of stuff since then. I, I launched my Kung Fu Genius channel on YouTube, so I feel like yeah, a lot has actually gone on since we had our last episode. And your it seems to be like your students are all over the media these days. I saw you had one guy in the, on the Grammys. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, one of the students from our uh, Brooklyn location, um, his name is Seth Falk. He, uh, he's, a, he's a drummer, and he plays for a few different bands, but one of the bands that he played with, they won a Grammy, and he got to go on stage with the, you know, with the band when they accept the Grammy, which is, like, unbelievable. That's amazing. And I, I saw on your Instagram the other day, too, there was another celebrity kind of thing with one of your students. I'm not sure which one it was, but... Uh, there was something with one of your guys. It's just it's amazing. You have a, a good group of people up there. Yeah, well, very lucky. I mean, we've been doing this for 18 years. So at this point, you know, we built up some connections. We're also in Midtown, so we're like in a really centered location. Sure. Um, I actually just did an interview for a Chinese media platform called Tencent, which is a huge, it's like one of the biggest in China. And they did an interview with me where they came over to my school and I actually spoke Cantonese to the uh, to the host, which was really funny. They made it like a gag, like the guy runs into my school, sees me on the wooden dummy and then at, like starts talking to me and I answer him in Cantonese, which is like really funny. Oh, and, that's cool. And afterwards, I took him to a Cuban Chinese restaurant, which is also part of the whole thing. Like it's for it's for tourists in mainland China, like things that they can do if they come to New York. So I thought I'll bring them to my favorite Cuban Chinese place because you cannot find something like that in China. And uh, the guy really liked it. And he's like a relatively, you know, I'll say he's a relatively handsome Chinese dude. Right. And so um, I go, yeah, well, we'll post this stuff on Instagram. He's like, oh. Yeah, and I'm kind of like very proud of myself. I'm like, yeah, I have a pretty good Instagram following, right? He's like, oh, good. He gave me his Instagram. First of all, he's a blue check, which means he's like a celebrity, right? Right. And and so I'm looking up, I'm like, oh, the dude's a blue check. And then he's got 1.1 million followers, right? (laughs) And then here I am like with, I don't know, with my 7,000 something followers, like I'm a big dude. I'm like, oh, yeah, all right. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely got put in my place there. It was really funny. And so okay. that that's gonna come out probably in a few weeks. So uh, when that comes out, uh, uh, we'll we'll let everyone know. So that'll be cool. That reminds me when I was growing up in Brooklyn on the corner of Schenectady Avenue and Flatbush Avenue, 
there was a, a restaurant, a Chinese restaurant, a nice, very, very big sit-in Chinese restaurant. Um, you know, probably well, 30 or 40 tables. Like, it was a big place. And it was funny because it was a kosher Chinese restaurant. Wow. Because it was Brooklyn. And they yeah. had an awesome play on the name. It was Shanghai. <laughs> That's awesome. That's something you can only find in New York. Absolutely, you know, because for those who don't know, Chai is uh, Yiddish for life. Yes. And it's and it's a, a very popular. I'm hope I'm not screwing that up too much, but um, it's a it's a very popular uh, Yiddish or Jewish word, and there's a large Jewish population in New York. So this was a kosher Chinese restaurant. Instead of Shanghai, it was Shanghai, which is just <laughs> awesome. I just you know. And uh, I always remember that place growing up in Brooklyn, you know? Yeah, that's, am that's amazing. Hey, by the way, did you see IP Man 4? Sorry, Yip Man 4 yet? I have not. I am mm. uh, I am uh, delinquent in my watching of kung fu movies. But <laughs> I, I, I hear that um, Enter the Dragon was good. I'm going to see that soon. <laughs> oh, so yeah, you got a little bit of catching up to do, I suppose, right? <laughs> what is this blood sport film I keep hearing about, right? <laughs> You don't want to laugh. Oh, what's I don't know who it was. Jeez. And I'm gonna say it's one of your guys that posted it because that's all the only people I follow on Facebook and, and Instagram. Um I saw some people make reference to that movie Oh fuck. No Retreat, No Surrender, which I loved as a kid. Yes. I know it's hokey, I know it's bullshit, but, whatever. But that's why it's great. It's just so awesome, you know? Yes, yes. And, and I think that was Jean-Claude Van Damme's first movie. If not, it's got to be one of his first movies. Well, I, I believe um, it's not his first movie. I think it's the first movie where he had, like, a major part, and he played Ivan the Russian, the villain. <laughs> right, 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 right. Uh, uh, as I've said before, I think actually Van Damme's first role was Break Into Electric Boogaloo. He was a background dancer um, along with Michael... Um, I think it's pronounced Chissy. It's uh, Q-I-S-S-I. -S -S That's the guy who played Tong Po in Kickboxer, and he was also the guy who got his leg broken in um, Bloodsport. That was like Jean-Claude Van Damme's buddy, and they both came from Belgium to the States to become movie go. stars. And they're like in the background on Venice Beach clapping their hands and dancing. In I think it's the Break-In 2, the second one. And I think that's actually the first like major Hollywood film he's in. And then he, everyone knows he got fired from the predator because he couldn't handle being in the, he was the actual predator and okay. like the suit was too hot and he complained and he got fired. But based on him working on the movie predator for a very short time, that's how we got blood sport because they were like, what, who have you acted with? And he's like, I was in an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, even though he got fired. But yeah, no retreat, no surrender. Uh, I think was the f kind of first major role that he played now how many years it's got to be a long large amount of years since you've seen that movie right I'm sure. uh yeah so um I, I mean i watched that movie a lot kind of when it was new and then i watched it again as a teenager because it was kind of hokey and kind right. of like silly right um but yeah i think that movie came out in the mid 80s maybe 85 86 something like so that. so this is not a good question ben but one of my favorite scenes in that movie again i this was me as a kid watching this was when the Bruce Lee character yes. is teaching him about the characters, the Chinese characters that make up martial art. Yes, yes. And I, I was gonna always wanted to ask you, like, are those characters that he 
Is the description that he uses correct? But I don't expect you to do it off of memory. So because I remember well, him, he does something like this is the character woo, which means to stop, and then yes. it was the next one's violence. And I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I always yes. wanted it to be. So um, it's it's been a minute since I saw the movie, but uh, well, first of all, the guy who plays Bruce Lee was a Korean actor who didn't speak Chinese. <laughs> so if anyone has seen the movie Game of Death, like the atrocious late 70s Game of Death where they finished it with a bunch of doubles, yeah. um, that actor who plays Bruce Lee in No Retreat, No Surrender is the main double for Bruce Lee in Game of Death. Oh, wow. And, yeah, he was a Korean actor named Kim Tai Chung. He passed away a few years ago. And so he wasn't even he wasn't speaking any of those English lines. Those were all dubbed, which you can tell when you watch the movie. He was totally dubbed, but not because right. he was Chinese, because he was Korean. Right, right, right. right. And uh, but actually, what he says, <laughs> if I recall, is true because the character for Marshall, which is Mo in Cantonese or Wu in Mandarin, is comprised of the character for Spear, and like a character which means to stop. Like essentially to stop violence or to stop right. the spear, right? And so I I have to watch it again, but I'm actually pretty sure that um, what he says is correct. The only thing that throws me off because I'm such a nerd is he's using Mandarin pronunciations, and as Bruce Lee famously said, I only speak Cantonese, right? <laughs> so so anytime Bruce Lee speak in Mandarin, it's kind of like the four stripe Adidas version of Bruce Lee. So um, and also he tells he tells his students. Um, you know the the pr played by uh, Kurt McKinney to call him Lee Daiga, and I remember as a kid going like, "What the heck is that?" And then later I realized like, uh, Daiga means older brother, but it means it in Mandarin. And first wow. of all, Bruce Lee would have never asked his students to call him older brother. Right. And if he did, it wouldn't be in Mandarin, and it wouldn't be Daiga. Daiga is almost like it's what you call um. Uh, uh, um, uh, like, or you say Dilo is like for a gangster boss or something like right, that. Right, right, it right, makes right. literally no sense, right? So, um, the weird thing is that movie was produced by a very famous Hong Kong producer called M. Si Yun, who actually did Drunken Master with Jackie Chan. So, they did have like legitimate Chinese people working on there, but some of the Chinese stuff was kind of dumbed down for the American audience. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. I just I remember, just remember loving that movie as a kid, and I know it was hokey, and but it was like you know compared to the other martial arts movies of the time. Right. I mean, there was some bad shit out there back then. Do you well, remember yes. like you remember Jim Cotta? Oh God! Oh God! <laughs> it was like what was it uh, Kurt Thomas or something? It yeah, was he some, was some Olymp like Olympian, right? Some Olympian. Uh, oh God! It was like the pummel horse or something. <laughs> yeah. He was a pummel horse Olympian. And that yes. had to be one of the worst fucking movies like ever, regardless of martial arts. That had to be one of right. the worst. It was weird. It was like almost set in a medieval time, but it was kind of fantasy. I, I remember, remember Richard Norton was in it, I think. And like and there was one random fight scene where there was like he's surrounded by a bunch of guys and then he gets on the pommel horse and starts kicking everybody. But it's not like he got on a thing that he used like a pommel horse. There was literally like a pommel horse in the middle of the forest, right? And you're like, they put like a hay on it or something like that. And it was like, wait a minute. Yeah, that, that, that was a great time for martial arts movies in just that the, it was either really good or really bad. Yes, and, yes. And um, I mean, I, the other ones I remember being so like loving the, uh, oh jeez, the Shokasugi 
Yes. Ninja movies. The first couple of them were really good. Yes. And then they started to go, they started to jump the shark a little bit, right? Right, right, right. So you had like Enter the Ninja, which was pretty decent. Also, a very original title, by the way, Enter the Ninja. Enter the Ninja and Return of the Ninja. Yeah, Shokasugi was the villain in Enter the Ninja. Then in the second one was Revenge of the Ninja. Revenge of the Ninja, that's right? it. Right, that and then the... he was the good, and they were like three ninja movies, but they weren't related. They were just like a series, right? And then there was right. Ninja 3, The Domination, with Lucinda Dickey from Breakin' again from Breakin' fame, and she got uh, possessed by the spirit of the Black Ninja who wore a green ninja outfit, which I never understood because he cr- he's credited as the Black Ninja. But he's got a green ninja suit. Always right. weirded me out. And then she gets possessed and then becomes, it's like, a, and there's like a ninja exorcism in the middle with uh, the gr- the great James Hong. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> I, remember, I think it was so, I have to be revenge in the ninja one that I really enjoyed a lot. That's the that- best one in my opinion. Yeah, the, the little kid who was really good. And yeah. The hot and blonde. It was just the hot blonde. And then the end fight scene is like. On the rooftop, j- it, right? It's like ninja porn. It's like every ninja weapon, right. every ninja skill, everything, like, you know, with the fake arm coming out of the pool. And, like, you know, it's like. It was like all the ninja in one scene. It was so great. Revenge of the Ninja is probably can only be described as pure ninja porn from beginning to end, and it's fantastic. Poorly acted, but fantastic at the same time. And then there was the American Ninja series, also. Yes, with Michael Dudikoff. The first one wasn't too bad. I mean, yeah, that was the one that he was for in. For 80s the, action standards, also a canon in, film. It was in the army or something. And yeah, someone was stealing yes, yes. weaponry. That was right. that, that that was a perfectly enjoyable movie. Um, yes, that was... and it had uh, uh, Tadashi Yamashita as the Black Star Ninja, the the bad guy. He was great. And Ninja, the American Ninja Two was it had Ninja clones. <laughs> so right. it was yeah. The, the franchise was already going off the rails by the second one. Although uh, the late Steve James, you know his black buddy. Yes, uh, yes. In the second one, he has a bunch of fight scenes, and you actually oh, he see passed that away? he did pass away. Yeah, he passed away. Not too long after those films were made, he's been oh, he's been I gone. Didn't know that. For, yeah, he's been gone for a hot minute. Um, and but you see, an American Ninja. My favorite part of American Ninja Two is that Steve James gets some really cool fight scenes, and he uses the Wing Chun butterfly swords, like where they're more like the Hong Kong style. But you right. actually see like the dude had chops, and right. you know that he was in another movie where he did kung fu outside of the American Ninja series. Do you know what that is? No, I don't. I'm gonna get you, sucker. I'm he gonna played, get you, sucker. Oh my god! He played god. Kung Fu Joe in that movie. <laughs> That's awesome. So he was like, he was obviously a legit martial artist with some kind of love right. for Chinese martial arts. So yeah, we, I mean, yeah, really great. I really like Steve James. I wish, I wish he could have done more. Would have been great to see him in more. Yeah, I feel bad. I just didn't know that that he passed away. Yeah, That's... yeah. It's like in the '90s, like really long time ago. Yeah. Wow! Wow! Yeah. That's that's crazy. That's that's sad. That's because yeah. uh, like I just re- remember there was just this whole barrel of freaking really mediocre martial arts movies, and I just remember yeah. loving some of them. You know, it's uh, and that yeah, was I mean, also that was the time when uh, like the VHS tapes were just starting to come out. Yeah. So it was the first time where you can now go to a video store. And start renting tapes and stuff. I know right. some of the young people be like, "What is he talking about?" But back <laughs> back then, kids, you had to go to a video store and rent a tape yes. for like and, three days, you know. And you had to rewind the damn thing before you brought it back. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> but you know that was I'm sure like uh, like so Revenge of the Ninja, American Ninja, 
Ninja and, Three: The Domination. Ninja, I, Ninja Three: The Domination. I don't remember that well, but these are ones I'm sure I went back over and over and. So the, and the opening scene of Ninja Three: The Domination is is also like pure like the the movie's pretty ridiculous because it's like ninja exorcisms and stuff although lucinda dickey you know in in my early informative years i was like you know i don't know why but i really love this woman <laughs> it's like when i'm like 10, 10 years old i don't know i have feelings for this female ninja here right um and and but the opening scene is just like he's the dude's killing all these cops on helicopters. He he puts the shuriken, the ninja star, in his tabi boot, you know, in the split. Yeah, 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 and then yeah. does a roundhouse kick and like kicks the thing into the dude's head. It's like so great. <laughs> it's so it's so awesome. Like really a fantastic piece of of, of ninja artistry. After that, Shokasugi had a couple had a couple weird ninja movies after those. He did like Nine Deaths of the Ninja, which was kind of strange and odd. He did uh, one called Pray for Death. And then kind of after the ninja thing died down, he tried to do more mainstream martial art movies. And he did one called Black Eagle, which starred Van Damme as the villain. I and remember so, that, I think. Yeah, that movie was kind of like Van Damme, on Van Damme's rise and Shokasugi's decline. Right. And um and yeah, it's kind of interesting like uh how 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 those things turned out. So um yeah. I'll always remember um about 4 years ago I was in Los Angeles and I was taking a I was taking an Uber to go meet somebody. And of course in Los Angeles everyone is an actor or a former actor or whatever, right? Right. right. So I'm in the Uber with this guy and then he's like, "Ah, so what do you do?" And I'm like, oh, I teach martial arts. He's like, oh, you do martial arts? That's amazing. And then he turns and he goes, oh, do you see what that building is over there? And I look at the building and, and he points to some random building. And I go, it looks familiar. He goes, that's Nakatomi Towers from Die Hard. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, cool, cool. And he goes, yeah, I'm an actor. And I go, oh, yeah. You know, I'm thinking in my mind, of course, he's an actor. Everyone in L.A. is an actor, right? Although, honestly, New York is not much different in that regard. So he says, you know, I used to work for Shokasugi. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, as a kid, like, I wanted to be his son. His son, Kane Kasugi, is like a huge hero of mine, right? And then he says, yeah, he used to work, like, when Shogasugi was at, like, his top. He had, like, a fan club, and he had an office. And, like, he used to work f literally for Shogasugi. I was like, wow, nice. that's so that's crazy. So, right? cool. so typical kind of, like, you know, and, of course, that's the guy who picks me up in the Uber in, in Los Angeles is, you know, the yeah, former I mean, employee of Show. I mean, it's a, you know... Shogasugi was the reason I had every ninja weapon as a kid. Yes. Like, every ninja weapon you could possibly have, I had, and I had it because of Shogasugi. Yeah, I had I had Shogasugi posters on my wall. Oh they shit! Were, yeah. He he had a series of four posters, and I had two of them. I had one where he's doing like a flying kick with two swords. The in two his swords, hand, right? Which exactly. Is just awesome. Yeah. And then I had another one where he I think he had a sword in one hand. And the ninja claw, and he was kind of making like a like an X with his hands. Right, right. Which is also totally badass. Well, I remember that There was another one with the archery, right? He had a bow and arrow and another one. That one I don't remember. And then there was remember. a fourth one. I don't remember. I remember the one with the sword and the claw, but I know I had the one with the two swords while he's yes. doing that flying kick. Yes, I, yes. I, I had that one. It must have been the most popular one or something. Right. <laughs> but I, I know I had that one for a while. You know, I'm, I had to move my Elvis poster over to hang that one, I'm sure. Right, right, right. Because yeah. when, when I was a kid, it was like, you know, Elvis Presley, Bruce Lee, and then like Shogasugi. And of course, every kid in Brooklyn had, had the mandatory Farrah Fawcett. But, you know, <laughs> that's right, that's right. <laughs> 
But uh, oh gosh, yeah, that was uh, that was a lot of fun growing up watching those movies. Yeah, speaking of, speaking of movies, actually, the uh, the Shaw Brothers legend Lo Meng, who's like from Five Deadly Venoms, he's the he's the kid with the golden arms, the Toad, and the Toad, right? And he's also in Yip Man two through four. He's actually in the latest Yip Man movie. I interviewed him for my Kung Fu Genius YouTube channel, and it was actually an interview from about four years ago. And it was for a TV show that that uh, this producer was trying to pitch with me as the host, and it never got picked up. So he was just sitting on this footage, and I had to like beg, scratch, and plead for years to get it. And I finally got the footage, and so I chopped it up and I put it on my uh, Kung Fu Genius channel on YouTube, so people can finally see my interview with uh, with this Kung Fu legend, who's also a good friend of mine. It's pretty. It's pretty dope. And by the way, uh, for all you dudes of Kung Fu fans out there, if you'd do me a big favor, my channel is new, so I need to get subscribers. And so if you could go to Kung Fu Genius on YouTube and subscribe, and also don't forget to hit the bell for notifications. That really helps bring up my channel <laughs> because my channel is new. I think I got like 600 subscribers, and uh, I, need to, I need to build that up a little bit. So uh, if you guys would follow me, that would be totally awesome. I would also like to put some dudes of kung fu content on the YouTube uh, channel as well. So um, you know what I was thinking of doing? Like you have you've told stories on the dudes of kung fu podcast, and I've told stories. And there's certain stories that people really like. And have you ever seen these videos where they take like something that a stand-up comedian does, and then they kind of like act it out, or they use some like other footage to kind of make it look like 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 it's you telling the story? Like remember the one with the uh, the samurai sword or something that you had right. on the bus, right? right, right and if right, you right. could like find out a way with like stick figure animations to actually recreate the story while you narrate it from that episode, like so I'm thinking maybe that, for the, the, the the channel we take like maybe maybe our um, listeners can suggest some of their favorite stories that you told or I told and then we'll kind of like recreate it using clips from other things or whatever <laughs> and and then we can we can put that on the Kung Fu Genius channel I think that'd be kind of funny that does sound like a lot of fun that's, that's yeah. pretty damn cool yeah I and like that I like that I did um, and another video that might be of interest to to our listeners is uh, I did one on the Kung Fu family terminology like things like uh, Sifu, Sihang, Sigong, Sizok, all those kind of terms and how to properly use them. And then I also went over some of the kind of, yeah, like people who think Sihang is a title, like assistant instructor or things like that. Right. I, kind of, I kind of like went through that. So there's a, uh, it's called the Not So Complicated Kung Fu Family Tree. That's the second episode on my channel. And, um, you know, so if people want to know about those things, I think that's probably the most complete video you'll find. And it's got visuals on there so you can pause it, break it down. And if you want to make sure that you're using these uh, titles correctly, whether you do Wing Chun or Jeet Kune Do or another Chinese martial art, it's pretty comprehensive. So I think I think most people will find it kind of helpful. Yeah, I'm having a uh, memory bomb right now in my head. Talk about like kung fu titles. I I may have talked about this on the podcast before. I don't remember because you know me, I'm fucking stupid. But um, I'll never forget years ago someone telling me it was a Japanese uh, swordsmanship, and I remember him telling me that his title was Daisho. Right. And I was like, oh, okay, what do I know, right? Daisho. And he said that it's because, and they, and they get the title, that when you become an instructor is when you're giving a daito and a shoto, the long sword and the short sword. And mm -hmm. your title becomes daisho. Okay. And I was like, okay, that kind of made sense. You know, and he was showing me some sword stuff. And 
It was more than I knew, so I was learning from him. But I could tell, even like at a young age, that this guy really didn't know what the fuck he was talking about. But he knew, he knew more than me, so you know, let's let's go with it, you know. And then I remember visiting, oh, a couple of years later, um, the Japanese Swordsmanship Society in in the city. Okay. With some friends. <laughs> I could feel something coming. <laughs> and no, no, no. It was and and I he asked me if we had I had any if any of us had any training with the sword. And I remember saying, listen, I, I did in Brooklyn. Some guy showed me. Um, I don't know how legitimate he was. You know, I was a kid. And, you know, I said, but he, did, he told me he had the title of Daisho. And as soon as I said that, like the four or five people standing n- near me all started to laugh. And I said, oh, I guess that's not a real title, huh? He goes, well, it's a real title in that a lot of Americans use it. But in Japan, Daisho is also kind of like slang for bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> and it was like, he goes, yeah, but it's not really like bisexual. It's kind of like, because even if he was having a problem with the language, he was definitely Japanese. He says, no, no, not bisexual. Like, meaning like you're both sexes. Ah, uh-huh. like a hermaphrodite. Right. Right. I was like, and me, I'm an 18-year-old kid from Brooklyn. I got no idea what the fuck he's talking about. Right? <laughs> that is and, funny. And I was like, oh, okay. So I won't use this title, right? Okay. But he said that a lot of Americans use it, and no one in Japan would ever use that title. That's crazy. Actually, reminds me, the other day I uh, was talking to uh, one of my students. Um, his name is Dre. He's an assistant. And I told a story from my childhood, which I realized I had never actually told the story before that time and it's kind of a ninja story but it, it's somewhat it's somewhat related to why i'm such a geek in kung fu and and martial arts and spotting charlatans and things like that so since i was eight years old i started martial arts and all i did was read martial art magazine since i was eight you know like the old right, yeah. kung fu and black belt and stuff every month uh, i'd go to the uh the newsstand with my allowance money and i bought one black belt magazine and one inside kung fu and that was like my reading material for the month right and it was such a big deal to get the new magazine but what ended up happening is i ended up reading those magazines cover to cover so even though i did karate and taekwondo when i was younger i read all the wing chun articles the hungar articles i knew who super foot wallace was i knew who stephen k hayes the ninjutsu guys so i just devoured all this stuff so i kind of knew like who was who and i had a fair amount of general knowledge about different styles So anyway, fast forward a few years and I'm 13 years old and I had just moving, moving. I had just moved to Seattle (laughs) with my with my family. And I was kind of like, you know, as an East Coaster in Washington state, I always felt like a bit of a fish out of water. So uh, I I have a friend there and we're having like a a sleepover or something like that. So I remember we were watching the movie Colors. Do you remember that movie? It's some gangster movie. I am a nightmare walking, psychopath stalking, <laughs> king of the street. Are you kidding me? I fucking love colors, colors man. Co- well, yeah, it's also <laughs> funny. Like the wet, like growing up in Jersey, it was all about like you know East Coast and East Coast hip hop and stuff. Right. The moment I moved to Seattle, which is not Compton by any stretch of the imagination, right. but everyone there was like you know Ice T and NW. Everyone there was like kind of a wannabe West Coast gangster, right? Of course, right. So. You know, I'm, I'm having a, a sleepover with one of my new buddies I met out there, and we're watching the movie Colors. I remember that. 
And then, like, the next morning we get up and he goes, uh, hey, my buddy's going to come over and hang out with us. He does ninjutsu. And I was like, oh, that's and, – and mind you, when I was 13, I was a little more into skateboarding than I was into martial arts at that point. I had already gotten my black belt in taekwondo, but then I kind of found girls. Right, and then, right, the, you right. know, And then there was, like – there was a couple years there where I was like, yeah, I'm going to just kind of look at girls for now and do skateboarding. So anyway, this guy comes over, and mind you, I'm 13. Me and my buddy, we're 13 years old. Right. This guy comes over in his car. So he's got a driver's license. So he's at least 16 in Washington State to have his driver's license. And he's hanging out with 13-year-olds, right? And so I remember he comes out, and he's got, like, these, these like, baby blue jeans and a white T-shirt on, right? And he kind of a big dude. I mean, I was very small as a 13-year-old, and he was, he was like, kind of a grown-ass man at 16. And then my buddy goes, as my friend Alex from Jersey, he's a black belt in Taekwondo. And then this guy goes like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I do ninjutsu. And then he just starts rolling into the shtick, right? Like, yeah, I do ninja and I'm all, yeah, I do ninja or something like that. And he's, he's saying right. all this stuff, right? And then I go because I'm such an – at this point, I'd already been reading martial art magazines for five years. And I go, oh, you do ninjutsu. Are you, do you follow like Masaaki Hatsumi or Stephen K. Hayes? I knew who they were and I had their books even though I never learned ninjutsu. And he looked at me and I realized very quickly he had never heard of those names before. Which is kind of like for Wing Chun people out there. It's like if someone says, yeah, I do Wing Chun. You go like, oh, like Yip Man Wing Chun? And they go, who? Right, <laughs> or you right, go exactly. like, oh, you know, like, like inch punch, like Bruce Lee, and they go Bruce who? <laughs> you know, right. it's kind of like it's kind of like that. Like, if you don't know the major players, people will kind of look at you like, wait a minute, is this dude even legit? So then he goes, no, 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 my my sensei is, and I can't, I don't remember what he said, but in my recollection, it was some made up Japanese name. Like the dude might as well have said, my sensei, it's Mitsubishi. Tempura sushi Like he just said a bunch of Japanese words and I just remember going Like You know I was 13 so I wasn't so outspoken But I just remember just going like I don't know if this guy is really Telling me the truth or what the deal Is right so uh, He goes In my school we don't have colored Belts every level We get a whole new uniform Of a different color so he goes, so when they start, you get the white ninja suit with the white belt, right? And then, <laughs> and then presumably you get, like, the yellow ninja suit with the yellow belt and then, like, a green one, right? And he's telling this to me, and mind you, I had never trained ninjutsu, but I had read nothing but martial art magazines right. for five years. And I'm going, like, mm, that's not, like, the ranking system that Masaki Atsumi talked about in that one article I once read. <laughs> and, like, right. you know, and I'm just going, like, and I'm thinking, like, I don't know. This guy looks big and strong, but I, I, I think he's. I think he might be lying to us, right? <laughs> and so he goes on, and then he, I remember this because this totally blew my 13-year-old mind away. He goes, you know, different ninjas have different specialties, you know. And he's saying this as like a like a 16-year-old with a license, but a 13-year-old kid, and there's a big gap between 16 and 13. Sure. Right. And then he's like, you know, different ninjas have different specialties. And that's how they get picked for their different jobs, right? And I'm thinking, like, this guy's learning ninjutsu in a strip mall. Is his sensei picking his students for jobs? <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm like, on what planet is this 16-year-old going on jobs, right? Ninja jobs, right? And he goes, yeah, my specialty is kicking. 
And I'm like thinking it's going to be poison or espionage or, you know, not making noise when you walk on, you know, rice paper or something like that. Right. And I'm thinking, I remember at 13 going, what ninja job does the guy who hires the ninja go? Okay. I need a ninja, but I need a ninja that that specializes in kicking. Like I need the person murdered, but only with feet, (laughs) (laughs) no hands, only feet. Right. And I just remember like at 13, my brain was spinning going like nothing. This guy is saying seems remotely feasible or plausible. And then I came to the conclusion that, this guy is not learning from some charlatan ninja school. This dude is literally just making this stuff up right now. There is no ninja school in 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 the Puget Sound region of Washington State <coughs> that had ninja suit ranks. Okay, right. exactly this is all right. in this guy's. Head. And then I'm starting to think, wait, like the red ninja, the white ninja. This guy got this from the movie Enter the Ninja. I'm starting to go like, wait a minute. Like, like it's kind of like the movie The Usual Suspects. It's like only at the very end you start putting the puzzle together and go, wait a minute. He made it up the whole time, and I know where it came from, right? So anyway, there was a t- we're out in the front yard of my buddy's place, and we're out in the lawn, and there's a tree, and there's a low-hanging branch with, like, a leaf on it. Like, it's about head height. And he goes, you see that leaf? I'm going to kick it. I'm going to kick it off that tree, right? And I'm, like, thinking, like, well, first of all, at that point, I'm already a Taekwondo black belt, and I looked at that, and I go, like, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of day three shit right there, son. <laughs> like, you know? Right. And so he stands in front of the thing, gets in this totally fake-looking martial arts stance. Mind you, he's wearing baby blue jeans and a white T-shirt. All right. right? He throws his leg up there with a speed that made me realize – he had never done that before because <laughs> he didn't like lift his leg, chamber it, place the kick. He just literally took his foot and tried to throw it in the air as fast as he could, which is something that someone who doesn't know how to kick is going to do. Right. Right. He swings with that leg and misses so hard. And I know it's kind of hard. Our podcast is obviously audio format, but if the audience can imagine he's standing vertically when he starts the kick and after he misses, his body is in the air horizontal to the ground. <laughs> so, like, literally his supporting leg slipped from under sure. him. And it was like a cartoon where he, like, floated in air for a brief moment, perfectly parallel with the ground below him. And he landed on his hip, like, slammed oh. on his hip. And it was muddy because it had rained. Right, and right, he right. got mud all over his jeans and his T-shirt. <laughs> And mind you, this is a 16-year-old trying to impress a bunch of kids. Right, right, And he gets right. up, and he's all embarrassed. And I just remember he goes, uh, uh, yeah, well, I'm not wearing my ninja pants. And he got into his car and, like, squealed off as fast as he could. Right, sure, And, like, sure. my buddy looks at me, and he just goes, well, that was weird. <laughs> and then I go up to the branch, and then I just did a quick roundhouse kick and kick the thing. And I'm like, yeah, it's not even that hard. And we walk back in. And then I was thinking, like, after I told this story last week for the first time, like, that guy probably wasn't the coolest guy in his grade if he's hanging out with a bunch of 13-year-olds trying to impress them with fake ninja stories. And that was the first time where I realized, oh, there are people who actually lie about their martial arts background. That was like the – like, I it had never occurred to me that people would just bullshit what they had done before until that moment when I was 13 years old. It was unbelievable. And more on that right after this message from Sifu John Cruciani. 
Hey all, have you heard that John Crucione of Laughing Dragon Wing Chun has an app exclusively for iPad about the science behind Dim Mok as it applies to Wing Chun? Dim Mok is the art of hitting weak spots or sensitive spots on the human body. Dim Mok, as taught by John Crucione, is considered one of the highest forms of Kung Fu target practice. He explains it in a clear scientific and anatomical principles and not just mystical theory or kung fu movie entertainment like the five point palm exploding heart technique nonsense. The art teaches you how to apply the principles of real dim mock within your system of Wing Chun. This app is unique because it breaks down two different lineages of the wooden dummy form and teaches the most common dim mock techniques of the dummy form and how to make it work. Contained within the app are videos, photos, theory, and points which are must-have for any Wing Chun practitioner who wants to elevate their skill to a higher level. And version 2.0 of the app is on its way out. It's available in the iTunes store for iPad only. And folks, it's just such a cool thing to have, you know, an old science of Dimmock brought together with the new science of an iPad. This is a, I've seen the app, it's fantastic. And uh, it really is a must-have for, for Wing Chun Kung Fu practitioners. I hope you all enjoy. And we're back. So what you're saying leads us right to our freaking main topic. But before we go to our main topic, I got one more ninja thing for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember as a young adult, 1920, I'm learning how to use the uh, sword, the Japanese sword, you know, correctly for the first time and I'm learning a lot about the history of the samurai and this and the other thing. And, and I remember sitting down and speaking with the teacher and we were talking about samurai. And it was one of the cool things about him was that he would tell me about, you know, the history of the samurai. I was always, you know, I loved the you know stories about Miyamoto Musashi and these just great samurai stories. And I remember asking a question like, oh, were ninja real? You know, there was the whole ninja craze. What was it real? And he said, yeah, ninja were real. But he goes, and I remember him blowing my mind with this. And I, I guess I should have realized it, but I didn't. That the ninja suit that we all, like, identified as ninjas. Right. Was not real. The ninja suit that we all identify as ninjas is from Japanese theater. That they would wear these suits so that they could move backgrounds and move props while they were on the stage in Japanese plays. Right. And they right. wore the, 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 the black suits so as to say, don't pay attention to them. They're not part of the show. Right. They're just here to move props so that the actors could act. Yes. And the yes. idea of you're not supposed to see them because they're only here for props was taken and given to quote unquote ninjas, martial artists, as oh you can't see us, almost as like a joke for right. Americans, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that you know n real ninjas were for the most part out of work samurai. Sure, yeah, it makes that, sense. That would just hire themselves out because they had to eat. Yeah, and these ninja clans were basic communes. That, oh, you know, a bunch of samurai who, you know, no longer their, their daimo got killed or whatever. 
So you had these friends that got together and said, hey, listen, let's all kind of help each other feed our families. And that's how these clans grew. That, you know, it was not so much of like, oh, this was a secret ninja family. It was like, you know, me, you, and three of your guys and two of my friends, we all kind of, you know, are out of work samurai and we say, listen, you know what? We all got families to feed. Let's kind of all like build our huts near each other and help each other gain, you know, employment. And we'll do whatever we have to do, even if it's less than honorable. Right. And that's why they are the ninjas kind of hid who they were because they were doing less than honorable work for a samurai. And I remember just being blown away by that as a kid. Like, and I say kid, I'm sure I was 19. But, you know, at, at the age of 55, 19's a kid. Right. But that's, you know, it's the truth, you know. So anyway, in, 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 a, in, in accordance with this whole uh, idea of um, what you were saying about people just, you know, lying about their martial arts experience and, and, and being complete fucking phonies and, and being ridiculous and that 16 year old who you know had a show off and get together with people that he considered lesser than him you know to show off we were going to talk about martial arts conventions <laughs> that's a that was a great segue by the way that was an award-winning segue if i do say so myself an award-winning that i didn't have to even pay for so <laughs> So someone had asked us to speak a little bit about uh, martial arts conferences. We've mentioned them before on the show, and um, but it's 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 a good topic, and you know, and I and I think you know, as Alex and I kind of um, grow as people, maybe our opinions change a little bit here and there, but um, I think you know we could have a little bit of a good conversation about this. Yeah. Um, and I and I don't do it because the question was posed to us posed to us by a friend saying like, oh, time for a little controversy. I honestly don't see this as controversy at all, honestly. Because I'm not all about controversy. I don't want to be controversial. I don't want to upset people. But I do have opinions. And my opinion is flat out, any award you have to pay for is not a real award. It's something you paid right. for. Right. But conversely, I have no problem with people doing that. <laughs> because I kind of feel like in life, and maybe because I'm getting older, we all have to be happy. So if kind of going to this award ceremony, quote unquote award ceremony, rubbing elbows with, you know, martial artists that are were once famous in their day and kind of like doing a little bit of like, you know, celebrity gawking and taking pictures with quote unquote, you know, famous martial artists and and, and, and getting a little trophy that, you know, you, uh, you know, cough paid for makes you feel good. Well, then you should do it. Right. But you can't see the problem I have is when those awards are used for marketing and when you expect other people to pay undue respect for that reward. So right. meaning like, you know, you get not you, Alex, but some person gets some award there the Wing Chun Sifu of the Year for right. five years in a row in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Right. And then now start marketing themselves as you know the the seafood of the year, and and then they're like, well, that's kind of that's disingenuous. And then when you start, and then when they start saying things like, well, look, I have all these awards, and that guy across town doesn't have any of them. Right. You know that's bullshit. You know what I mean? Like, 
I uh, I just think it's like you know it's 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 not cool. It's it's that's where that's why I have a problem with these award ceremonies. You know what I mean? Right, it's right. like uh, it it just doesn't seem like um, a legitimate way of of, uh, of 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 presenting yourself to the public. Yeah. No. No. And and that's where I agree with you. Like. Yeah, on the whole, if people want to go to these things because, you know, they want to see uh, Cynthia Rothrock, Benny the Jet Urquidez, you want to see, I mean, that's totally cool. I, I I also want to sit and chat with with Cynthia again and talk to Benny and see all these guys. And exactly these right, right. Yeah, and these kind of conventions are a great way for, you know, for people to interface. Like with, we were just talking a moment ago about these movies we saw back in the 80s. You know, it's kind of a chance for you to like interface with a lot of these people, which I think is great. And you know, also hats off to the people who can pull these things off year after year. So the the Atlantic City Convention, uh, which is run um, also by someone who teaches Wing Chun, he does this every year. And he has, you know, he books this huge room in, in Atlantic City and he's got all these people that come in and, and all these celebrities and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, he's got the awards show where you can pick up an award for, you know, whatever. And like, you know, those are the things that sometimes people feel are maybe not the greatest. But the thing is, Hats off to them for putting that thing together because they do that thing year after year, and that is a hustle, especially knowing how flaky martial arts people are and how crappy they are at committing to things and following through, especially when it comes to business side of stuff. Like the fact that they can put that together year after year is really remarkable. Um, I think, very much in line with what you were saying, like, uh, you know, so for people who don't know or maybe you don't live near these things, these are these are conventions. They have them in a couple different places in the U.S. I'll have them in California. They have them out here in Atlantic City and also in Europe and other places. And basically, you can pay an entrance fee to go. What's essentially a um, a martial arts industry convention, and you get to see you know old movie stars, and you get to see manufacturers who sell different martial arts equipment, and it's kind of like one of those things. But usually these places also have a Hall of Fame um, event where it's kind of like a dinner where you sit there and everyone who basically paid for the dinner gets a, a Hall of Fame award as like Sensei of the Year, Sifu of the Year. But so I, I've never actually been to one of those award events, but I'm very good friends with a number of people who go to those events every year. Not not as fans. They go because they're the paid celebrities who get hired to go to those things. Right. And so I hear a lot from those guys. And basically, they've told me that on some years, there's so many Hall of Fame awards that they have to give out that nobody goes up there and says has a speech when, when they receive their award. They're literally in a line, like at a buffet, and they go, they take their award, they sit back down, go take awards, sit back down. And I've heard that the actual award costs uh, like $1.50 or something like that, right, like, right, like right. to manufacture. And so... For me, I've been teaching martial arts now for 18 years. The only plaques I've ever received are ones that my students gave me for like our 10-year anniversary, 15-year anniversary, like milestones in my teaching career. But I don't have like a Sifu of the Year thing that I paid for on my wall. I don't think I could ever put something like that on my wall. But dude, and, dude if you want one, you mail me a check. I'll send you something. <laughs> but I think... You know, what you get sometimes is you get, let's just say Wing Chun people, for example, just to keep it within our wheelhouse. They think, okay, I'm going to pay to go to this dinner and get some Hall of Fame award thing, and then I'm Sifu of the Year or Wing Chun Instructor of the Year. And that's going to make the difference in terms of my marketability. 
And of course, then they put these things, like you said, on their websites or whatever and say that they're Sifu of the Year. But here's the gag. I don't have a single Hall of Fame award on my wall. And I've arguably one of the biggest Wing Chun schools in the U.S. Because what Kung Fu people or Wing Chun people or martial arts school owners need to learn is it's not about the hacks. Like a simple trick to get students to join your school or getting a Hall of Fame award and then suddenly people will come. The only way you're going to have a lot of students come and join and stay at your school is if you put in the work and not focus on these little hacks that you think are going to like, oh, well, that Sifu has a Hall of Fame award, so let me go and train with it. No one has ever given a crap about those things because people join a school if it's close to where they work or they live and they came in and they like what they saw and they like what they felt. They don't join my school or not join my school because of some award I have on the wall. And this idea that martial arts school owners think that collecting these things is going to change the bottom line. Well, you can see most of the guys who have Sifu of the Year or Wing Chun Instructor of the Year don't even really have students. These are not even really professional instructors. These right, are, that's the truth. You know? And and so you see that it doesn't actually bring that. And if it did, it would be a different story, right? Yeah, no, I, you know, it's funny because I was just about to say, I, I don't think, if I had to guess, some high percentage, it would have to be 80, 90% of the guys that are getting these awards don't run professional schools. Right. You know, and it's so funny because there's a guy I follow on Instagram. Sure, he's a nice guy. He posts nice pictures of, you know, him training with some people. Um, he posted two, two, two already. He was Jeet Kune Do instructor, Hall of Fame Jeet Kune Do instructor of the year. Uh-huh. I've never heard of his fucking name. Right. And like, I'm not famous, but I'm kind of plugged into that community a little bit. And yes. if you were two years in a row, the United States Jeet Kune Do instructor of the year, I think I would have at least fucking heard of you. Right. And, you know, they post pictures and it's like, you know, it's obviously like him, his girlfriend, and two of her friends. Or some fucking other... It's like, I, I don't get like... I, I'm. It's an ego thing. I guess it's got to be an ego thing. Right. You know what I mean? I guess it's got to be an ego thing. And I there's a better way to go about it, pal, you know? Yes. There's a better way of going about it. If you really want to be a Jeet Kune Do instructor of the year, really start off by being a Jeet Kune Do instructor, and, right. and try and get start. try and get good at it, and 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 let it grow naturally. Let it let it, you know let it be let it become what it is. You know I um. No one is looking at these awards saying, "Holy shit, this guy is Jeet Kune Do instructor of the year." Exactly, I got to learn know, from him. Right, it's just that's just not real. You know, it's. It's it, and it's almost like I was gonna say it's sad because obviously someone's you know taking your money, bro. But <laughs> I think it's also fills some sort of need in the person themselves, right? That maybe that you know maybe that gives them confidence. And if that's the case, then okay, I get it. You know, I kind of feel like you know no award that you're gonna get is gonna fill you with more confidence. Yes. You know, you're so chock full of confidence. I want to choke you to fucking death. But, <laughs> Well, I mean, I think it's always outcomes. It's like what I see, and we've discussed this before. With awards like that, I feel it's not that it grows confident. It's that they seem to be seeking validation that they feel that they don't have. And if you are honestly practicing your martial art and you are getting 
confidence and, and, and you're getting enjoyment and fulfillment from your martial art, the need for this external validation shrinks almost exponentially. And when people come to my school and learn and they tell me, you know, how much like the training has improved their lives, how much better they feel, how happy they are to come. Well, what more validation do I need than that? I've literally affected this person's life who right. came to my school and I helped them get better, whether they want to be a fighter or they just want to have a hobby. And why then getting some award from people who don't even know me? You know what I mean? It would be like one thing if there was a, 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 a group of people who were all tight knit and they decided based on my merits, they were going to give me that. But it's like no one in Atlantic City knows who I am. So why are they giving me this this award? It's, it's, right. it's that's not even merit based. So <clears throat> where, where's the where's the fulfillment? I don't it just for me. It just feels really cheap. But I, with all that said, I think it would be really cool to sit down with Benny the Jet or Key Davis. Oh, 100%. But I think for me, I go like, all right, I want to hang out with Benny the Jet at one point in my life. So I know some people who've trained with him. So, like, for me, next time I'm in L.A., I talk right. to my friends who've trained with him and then see if I can meet him for 15 minutes at his school. And then I'm not there in a line of people who are trying to get an autograph and a photo. Right, I actually right, get right. Benny the Jet for maybe five minutes to myself, right? And so that's kind of how I approach it. I don't, you know, you're like the, the, you know, you're in a line of people taking a quick photo and a selfie and then you're out. It's like, you know, but... Oh, the other thing, too. Actually, I posted about this last week because we just recently had this event in Atlantic City. There, there are people whom I know personally who want to learn Wing Chun and who've contacted me. And they're like, hey, you know, they teach another martial art, whatever it is, and they want to also learn Wing Chun. I'm like, great, no problem. And then like, yeah, but, you know, I, I can't really afford, like, to learn Wing Chun or whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, then, you know, maybe you should – Maybe you should get that in order because I mean they think like because they're martial art instructors I should teach them for free you know what no. I mean like like okay. I, I I don't understand right so anyway one like even when I go to Florida they're like oh can you come and teach a seminar for my you know X Y Z karate school and I'm like well okay well here are my rates and they're like oh no I thought you would just kind of come and like it's like what <laughs> like 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 All I'm right. just gonna teach you guys for free because you like martial arts people who pay me money like martial arts and that's why they pay me money to teach them right, and yeah. anyone I want to learn I go to Hong Kong I pay people money to teach me something or I pay people money or whatever right right so anyway so this one guy who kind of wanted me to teach a seminar for free for him once and I was like ah you know thanks but no right and this guy goes to that Atlantic City convention every single year. Right. And I'm looking at him like, you know, instead of investing the time to improve his school or to invest in more martial arts training, the guy will <laughs> spend money to fly out of state and hotel for a couple days to literally go and see the same people year after year right. and pick up some award and he can barely keep the doors open of a martial arts school. And I go like, that's the thing that bothers me. It's just kind of like they, they prioritize the validation of taking a photo with someone like Benny the Jet, which is cool, um, over like, why don't you invest in your education to have like a better school or invest in your own train or whatever, right? It's like, no, they're going to invest in taking a photo with the same person they took a photo with last year. Right. And I'm like, and I'm like, this, this is, and that's also the reason why I feel less inclined to help these people. Right, because it's like you need to be, you need to help yourself first. Otherwise, like you know, this isn't gonna happen. Oh, so, absolutely, yeah. I agree. I agree. Yeah, but by the way, speaking of you know titles and 
awards and stuff like that. My very first video on my uh, Kung Fu Genius channel, I talked about the title of Grandmaster. And I talked about how Yip Man actually didn't use that title. That was something that other people in the media called him, but he didn't give it to himself. And how in the Leung Ting system, which I come from, this is a big problem. Because a lot of people who leave the Leung Ting system, like either they get kicked out or they just leave and they open their own thing, they always title themselves as Grandmaster. And in our uh, old association, Siva Leung Ting wore these gold stripes because he was the Grandmaster in the old, old days, right? So, of course, all these guys, they leave, and they're not Grandmaster level, but they all give themselves the gold stripes, right? So, in my very first video, I actually called out this behavior. I said, what's the deal with all these European guys who leave the Wing Chun organization, and suddenly they have gold stripes and they call themselves a Grandmaster, right? And I used a photo of one of these self-titled Grandmasters, but I didn't show his head or anything like right. that. And truthfully, I wasn't even trying to call him out. I was... There's a whole group of these German and Italian guys who do this. He was just one of many. But right. obviously, I'm not going to put a photo of 20 people on there. So right, I just right. put, picked one random <laughs> one, right? And so that guy got so angry because he thought I was calling him out personally. He totally missed the concept of the video. It's like, no, 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 no. It's not you, bro. It's all the bros like you. Right. <laughs> but it's not just you. But he took it personally because, oh, it was his photo and, and all this kind of stuff, right? Threatened that he was going to beat me up. And, and the crazy thing is this idiot actually reposted my video on Facebook a number of times. And it's the video that has, you know, supposedly a photo of him in it. And he kept reposting it. And it's like, dude, if you don't want people to see this video because you're kind of a man baby, right. then maybe you shouldn't keep reposting it, right? And then he wrote comments where he's like challenging me and all this kind of stuff. And he got savage in the comments so bad that he actually deleted his comments, which is hysterical. But he seems to be upset that someone was critical of him. And, you know, I'm thinking of doing a video of this on the channel. And we could probably talk about this on the next episode. If you're a kung fu person in the 21st century, you got to have a thick skin because the martial arts world has changed. The tough guys on the block are the MMA guys, not the kung fu guys, not the traditional martial art guys. And so if you're a public figure like who does kung fu or does Wing Chun, you need to have a thick skin about people calling you out on stuff, whether it is from your style or from another style. I told you on my Howcast series, you know, which I taught a number of years ago, some dude wrote in the comments, oh, dude, this guy would get choked out by Tito Ortiz in, in one round, right? And I thought that was the funniest thing in the world. But if this, this guy who got upset, this so-called grandmaster, if somebody wrote something like that about him, he would have a meltdown. He's like, right. he literally acted like a man baby in the comments. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, dude, that guy who wrote the comment that I would get choked out by Tito Ortiz, I thought that was super funny. And if you don't have a sense of humor about this, you need to you need to extricate yourself from the conversation because you are living right. in your own world. No one is looking at this guy's gold stripes and going, yeah, that guy's the same guy as Leung Tang on the same level. It's like, get out of here, dude. And if you don't have a sense of humor about that, then you're just a man, baby. So, um, yeah, that's all I got to say about that. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just silliness. And uh and, and it just it all boils out the ego, I guess. You know, it's yeah, um, absolutely. Well, oh, and again, the, the dude sent us a bunch of angry emails, by the way. And he also talked about I am very. He one of his emails. He said I am very humble, 
and the footer on his email says Dai Sifu, which is no, something no right. Chinese person would ever call themselves. Dai Sifu is like calling yourself the great one. Right. And he talks about how humble. He, so we have an email, which is answered by my wife, who's Chinese. and spe- So you can imagine she's actually Chinese and reading some, you know, knucklehead from Europe saying how humble he is and then has a sign off that says Dai Sifu. And it's like, my God, this is it's it, it, the parody is writing itself. That's you know, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I remember a long time ago, a guy calling me up on the phone to complain that he said Steve Golden called him an asshole. Called you? So why doesn't he call Steve? <laughs> he, he called me to tell me Steve Golden called him an asshole. Oh, thanks for letting me know. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, well, honestly, I've never heard Steve call somebody that. So you really got to be a major league asshole. <laughs> That's and he goes, great. well, I want you to know that, you know, your Sifu is going around calling me an asshole. I said, listen, dude, I'm trying to tell you, I've never heard Steve say that about a lot of people, anybody. And he knows a lot of people. Right. And I've never heard him say anybody else was an asshole. So if he called you an asshole, you've got to be an asshole. <laughs> like, I don't Man, even know. Awesome. I don't even got, I don't even have to talk to you. <laughs> you know, this is like, we're done. You know, I mean, because Steve's like a really nice guy. And if you tell me you got him to the point where he called you an asshole, you're a fucking tool, dude. Like, you know, it's like, you know. (laughs) That's amazing. That's so funny. Awesome. Well, dude, it's been real, dude. uh, Yeah, it's been real. Yo, before we're out of here, I just want to let people know. If anyone wants to come to Hong Kong this year, we opened up my, uh, my yearly tour to Hong Kong for people outside of my school. I'm only bringing like 10 people because honestly, I don't want to bring 20 people, schlep 20 people around Hong Kong with me. We already had six people sign up, so we literally only have four slots left. If people want to come and do the ultimate Hong Kong Kung Fu tour with the Kung Fu Genius, it's at the end of August, August 24th to the 30th. You can sign up for the tour um, on uh, wt-athletics.com. That's wt-athletics.com. Sign up, come. You're going to get the best Wing Chun and Kung Fu movie tour of Hong Kong you could ever possibly get. Don't worry about the news with the coronavirus and all that stuff. If the coronavirus is still going on in August, then we are all dead as a global society. So so we got bigger problems than that. Everything should be cleared up by August for sure. So sign up for that if you guys want to come. And there's only a couple slots left. That's awesome. And now people get to sleep with you? Or is that... That's super expensive package. <laughs> we haven't even come up with a price for that one yet. <laughs> awesome. All right, everybody. Talk to you soon, guys. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the Dudes, you'll get early access to episodes, as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the Dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. 
Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!